Hey everybody, Victor again. This is the full episode, including Sona's feedback. We had a very entertaining conversation about this very entertaining episode. If you happen to catch my solo recap before, just fast forward to about 22 minutes and you'll get the new content. And we also discussed briefly the Academy Awards and I make a recommendation for the girl from Plain View. Is that right again? <laughs> I get it right when I recommend it, but I do forget the name of that show, which just premiered on Hulu this week. The usual calls to action. Make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available. Drop us an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Review us on your podcast share of choice and recommend us to somebody else if you think they'll appreciate the content. And we just started our recap of Moon Knight earlier this week. So give that episode a listen if you are watching Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing... The eighth episode, the penultimate episode of Severance, What's for Dinner? Okay, kids. Let's find out what's for dinner. You think we're about to meet our spouses? Uh, maybe. Maybe it's each other. That'd be a hoot. <laughs> yeah, like, uh... Made argument over car wash coupons. <laughs> Honey, you're cutting them wrong. In case we don't come back. <laughs> I don't know, in case we do. Right. When the episode begins, we see Irv is out reading a book with his dog. We see his Audi. So we're hoping to see some of these Audis after last week's episode, and here we have our first introduction to someone other than Mark. What do we find out about him? He lives alone, he's a painter, and he keeps painting the same thing over and over again. A long black corridor with a red light in the distance. We also find out he likes to listen to Motorhead while he's painting. Didn't picture him as a Motorhead fan. So as if we needed further proof that there is some bleed over between these personas, the black paint that we've seen oozing all over in Irv's visions, his innie, is this paint from the outside world. Different, once again, in this episode, we see everybody as their Audis pass through the elevator, phasing into their innies. It's the first time we've seen all of them go through this process. And then we see Heli hunkering down. She's the last one of the refiners who has not finished, has not achieved 100%. And we find out that they have been diligently, I guess it's been a week now since Cobell had scheduled to meet with the board at their annual celebration. And I guess it's been a week now because we do see preparations much later in the episode for that very celebration. Helly's the last one remaining, but she's close. She's in the 99%. And this is all about getting that waffle party. So the waffle party is important to this plan they have concocted. Earth suggests that they cheer her on. Maybe that'll get her over the hump, but she's able to do it on her own. Meanwhile, Cobell wants to have yet another wellness check with Mark. One final one. So this is important, as we'll see later. She calls Milchik Seth, so we find out that's his name. Then she says something very interesting to him here. She'll make it. That's prep for when she makes it. Oh, and I want to schedule a end of the quarter wellness session for Mark. One last time. Really? Seth, 
I know that this has been a trying quarter, and you have availed yourself well. Mr. Grainer sits with Kier now, and I imagine they're both very satisfied with you. Heli achieves the 100%. This is the first time we see the reward. This cheesy, early 90s graphic of Kier congratulating her. They've inserted her name into this generic script. And then he flies away. <laughs> it's very cheesy, very funny. Cobell's proud of the team for making it. And she calls out Mark saying, congratulations, you made it despite fart- farting around in the halls <laughs> most of the time, which is true. Milchik wants to know who is going to stay behind. And the decision has been that Dylan is going to stay behind. Cobell, interestingly, says to Mark in their conversation, she says, I, and then she stops herself and says, Lumen needed this. This may not be that important considering the way things turn out in this episode for her, but she's still holding out hope that things will go well for her here. And then we see that Mark and Miss Casey have their last wellness check. Harmony is riveted by this interaction between them. There's many interesting things that get said here. Your Audi makes time for people. Even when they let me talk to somebody. I really liked being in the office with you all that day. I know I vexed you. I know I'm strange. No, you're not strange. My life has been 107 hours long. Most of that has been these half-hour sessions. For me, my favorite time was the eight hours I spent in your department, watching Heli. It's the longest I've ever been awake. I suppose it's what you could call my good old days. Must be something we can do. Why do you care what happens to me? She mentions the fact that she has only been awake for 107 hours. So considering that Mark's wife has been dead for a year, and she's only been awake for 107 hours, she's only been activated relatively few times. Very sad to consider all that, but also to understand what is happening with her, because we know that she died approximately a year ago. She's now, I had presumed in last week's recap, if you heard that, that she was actually permanently an innie. But if that's the case, then she hasn't been only alive for 107 hours. So what's been happening with her Audi? Where does that Audi go? And there's some hints here as to what's happening, but I don't know. And it's uh, very disturbing, actually, to think about what is happening to her in those down hours and what might happen to her at the end of this episode or, or in a subsequent episode, I should say. There's some touching interactions here where Miss Casey asks Mark, why does he care so much about what happens to her? To which he says, we are people, not parts of people. 
And Harmony feels, her face just seems to show that she's riveted by this. She's emotionally moved by this. Milchik is there and mentions that we should be happy, that they can't remember each other. It shows that the, it means that the chips work. And at the end of this interaction, they send her back to the testing floor. Milchik escorts her down, and we see a long, dark hallway with a red light at the end. This is a very sad scene. She turns to Milchik and asks, am I happy up there? And Milchik's uncomfortable answering her, but tries to comfort her in some way, but really just wants to get out of there. And she continues down her hall into the elevator. Now, very interesting. This is what Irv is painting. This is the paintings that he's painting repeatedly in his Audi life. So the question is, where is she going? Where do these other folks go? Where is her Audi? Is it an Audi or is there some other persona that she's inhabiting in that in-between time? Because if the Audi was the original Audi, why wouldn't she have tracked down Mark? But more importantly, why would Irv know anything about this hallway? He is supposedly an innie with a traditional Audi, like Mark, for example. And we have now seen him in his outside life. So was he at some point constrained in this separate area? Remains to be seen, but very tantalizing, very interesting stuff. Preamble to the waffle party. We have the egg bar social for everybody. Dylan's the one that gets to stay behind and make the announcement. And Milchik says he deserves it. He's got a sharp mind. It's as sharp as his incisors, of course, referencing back to the fact that he bit him just last episode. And he's requested a special prize, which he is hesitant to show everybody, but eventually he does. We don't see it, not until the very end of the episode. The egg social includes hanging out and partying and mostly eating deviled eggs and punch, <laughs> drinking punch. Helly's actually impressed by the eggs. And Dylan goes, absolutely. The egg bar is coveted as fuck. <laughs> then completely surprising to me, we see Natalie with the board in her ear with proof of Helly's suicide attempt. They also know that she's been doing her nursing consulting for Mark's sister. And they say she is fired immediately. She doesn't even believe it. She's angry at Natalie. But then, then the board does actually speak for the first time. We hear them just say yes. She wants to plead her case to them. But as Natalie says, they're already off the line. Pretty entertainingly here, Helly mentions that now I get it. The goats lay the eggs. <laughs> so that's where the eggs come from, supposedly, in her theory. They left us unattended and thought we'd be too dumb to notice. They won't see this coming. Or we won't wake up. Or we're all assholes out there. Well, that's a given for me. <laughs> yeah, I just hope it turns out I have things I care about. Like, for real. You pretended to care about me pretty well. You're easy to pretend to care about. And the party's abruptly cut off when Milchik comes in very angry, or at least confused and perturbed, which makes me think that he was not the one who leaked the photos to the board, because he seems very discombobulated by this fact that Cobell's been fired. I mean, they already have a skeleton crew down there. You really are leaving this place almost completely unattended at this point, and maybe that's intentional. As the party's wrapping up, and as the team members 
prepare for their adventure that night. Mark pulls out Rickon's book, reads page 197. Turns out Dylan already knows. Dylan says page 197 slaps. (laughs) And it's about your job being, your primary job being about breathing fresh air. They all start to depart. And as Irv leaves, he says, all right, folks, let's find out what's for dinner. Heli exits after having a sweet moment with Mark. But then she jumps back out and gives him a kiss and says, in case we never come back or in case we do, which is a good, good line. And then we see Mark exit. As he's exiting, we see that Lumen is being decorated, probably for the annual ball or the celebration, the annual celebration, which I'm sure we will be seeing more of next week. So then maybe the weirdest thing that's ever happened in this show, which is saying a lot, <laughs> happens next. We see that Dylan goes to have his waffle party at the Hall of Perpetuity. The whole thing is very creepy from the very beginning. And then we see that he is eating his waffles. And when he finishes them, there is a sign. There is a printed on the plate, go to the bed. When he gets in the bed, he puts on a paper mache head of Kier. And then we see this strange burlesque where people come in. I believe it's one man and multiple females who do this sexy dance. There's even a, someone in a goat head, old paper mache giant oversized paper mache heads. <laughs> Very strange. Like I'm telling you, this is the weirdest thing they've had here. And is this potentially, I mean, is this the waffle party reward? Is he allowed to have sex? Maybe this is supposedly what's supposed to happen here. I'm not sure about this waffle party situation, <laughs> but by the time they finish their burlesque and they turn to the bed, the paper mache head is there, but Dylan is gone. Meanwhile, back at home, we see that Cobell has arrived and she is freaking out on the whole r- car ride home. She is screaming at, at, at some, I assume it's Natalie that he's, she's berating and she's interrupted. She gets back home by the way, and like starts smashing up the shrine she had to, to, uh, Kier last week that we saw for the first time screaming why and obviously very upset that whatever she sacrificed for this position she has lost that all gets interrupted by mark arriving and inviting her to a party at her sister's house at first she says she can't make it but then she decides you know what maybe she can make it she'll just have to drive herself back inside lumen we see that dylan has worked his way back to the security office we finally see what he got as his requested reward and it was a cube like we saw of mark's head But in this case, it's a cube of the team members themselves. So that's his inspiration, motivation to keep this thing going. So it's sweet that he's become a real team player after being such an individual contributor this whole entire time. And we know that wherever they're going to be activated, at that moment when they're going to be activated, we are seeing them, their Audis, at this moment. Not Heli yet, but we see that Irv is painting, that same painting yet again, that long black corridor. And meanwhile, Mark has arrived at his sister's party, and has run into Cobell, or Selvig, as she's known, in this incarnation. And he had and he had just mentioned to his sister that he's thinking about making a big career move. Selvig overhears this and says, well, what was that about, Mark? And Mark says that he's thinking of leaving his job. I was going to tell her that I'm thinking I might quit. Quit. Serious? Yeah, I just this severance thing. I, I'm not sure I need it anymore. <sighs> right. 
And just at that moment, we see internally that Dylan has figured out all the right key combinations. He's memorized it. He got it right. And now he has stretched across the room to be able to pull both levels simultaneously. He's got to hold one. You can't switch it. You have to hold it while you pull the other lever. And he squeezes and stretches. And then just the moment before he's actually able to grab the switch and pull the lever, we see, once again, Mark and Selvig embracing. What a rude awakening that's going to be for him. We see... Irv in front of his painting, and as I had speculated multiple times now, we see Helly drinking champagne and laughing with somebody, and I'm pretty sure she's at the Egan annual Lumen Ceremony. And what a rude awakening that's going to be for her as well, <laughs> for her indie. And just as we pull the switch, we cut the black. So whoa, what a cliffhanger. Holy cow, can you leave us on a more <laughs> on a, a like a more profound cliffhanger than this one. And we remains to be see what happens next week. As far as my review for the episode, I uh, felt like this is really just prepping for the finale. So it's a little disappointing that we don't have any internal character development or anything more, a little deeper here for the mythology. But even as I'm saying that, I mean, we get a little bit more of what is this waffle party and a little bit of that mythology. We get, I mean, this is pure speculation, but we can consider the complexity of him being with his wife, who he loved dearly in the as an Audi, and he has affection for her internally, but he does not seem to be in love with her or remember that love he had for her, and yet he's falling for Heli simultaneously, which of course is very complicated. And now I'm starting to wonder, is Selvig and Harmony, therefore Harmony, I should say, falling in love with him also? If that actually ends up being the motivation, that's a little disappointing <laughs> that everybody's just falling in love with the protagonist. So hopefully there's a little more complexity than that. But it is also very interesting to see that now we have a situation where not only is this team no longer loyal to Lumen, the security guard who's been killed last week, and now Harmony is completely disenchanted with the team, with, with, the, with the company. So they have like no, they have no loyalists left. So a couple of things here. One is I do wonder, once again, what Harmony's plan is, that she thought that she was figuring something out behind the board's back and hiding these things from them, but apparently not. But they know everything. They know what's happening in her own home, which raises the question that Sona has raised multiple times in the fact that how do they not know what's happening in their homes? How do they not know what's happening with Mark on the outside? How do they not know that Petey and him crossed paths? To which I say, I do not believe that they don't know. I think they do. So I think there's something much bigger going on here. And they're fully aware of what's happening. And they're fully aware that their Audis are going to be activated. And they've allowed this to happen because this is all part of a grand, grander experiment. And what that is, I honestly don't know. It's yet to be revealed. If I could purely speculate, I'm thinking Irv has been to this other area, which I think PD pointed out on his map that there was an area that he didn't know what it was for. And that's the area we saw Miss Casey going into. And it's also the area that Irv is painting in this finale, or I'm sorry, in this episode. So he's been there before. He's probably spent a significant amount of time there, enough that it's imprinted on his mind. And now he's back outside again. So how many 
different personas can you put into a single person? And does this is this Audi also aware of that time he spent in that other situation or condition or not? So all is yet to be revealed. I'm pretty sure the show has answers for these things. I just haven't revealed them yet. I'm not sure if everything's going to be answered in the next episode. I have to assume that the next episode has to obviously address this immediate question of what's going to happen when they wake up in these circumstances and how they're going to find each other or coordinate things or, or anything. I really, I think it's going to be a total disaster, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I don't know how they're going to be able to stay active for that amount of time. And how can they warn somebody, communicate with somebody, find each other? None of those things seems possible in the limited amount of time that Dylan will be able to keep them activated. So yeah, this is fascinating and it's going to be really crazy next week. However, I do worry that there's going to be a lot a lot unanswered for season two or, or leading into season two. And we may not have a really truly satisfying conclusion to season one. And if that's the case, well, I'm coming in for season two. I had the same complaint at the end of Loki, which I thought was an excellent show, but then kind of just left us on a cliffhanger. Then we have to wait two years <laughs> for the second season. Hopefully this one won't take as long, but I do have those concerns, but nonetheless, I'm definitely on board and boy, I really, really, really want to see that next episode. This is a crazy, crazy cliffhanger that they've left us, left us on. All right. So that's my, overview of the episode. And now you'll have my conversation with Sona, where I get her impressions of this episode and kind of her speculations on what we might expect to see next week. Talk to you soon. All right, Sona. So I have many questions. I already did the breakdown on the episode, which I posted last night. But in general, what did you feel about this episode? Oh my gosh, the suspense. Is there only <laughs> one left after this? This is it, just one. Holy cow. I mean, it was really building and building. And those last scenes yeah. uh, gave us a lot to wonder about what's coming up next, especially the idea of Mark's inner version coming to the surface like mid-hug with yeah <laughs> with Patricia Arquette's character would be so crazy to be like why am I hugging this lady from my office yep. so... <laughs> that's the one thing that I think I wanted to speculate on and maybe wanted to save it for this part of the conversation is because I'm imagining these people waking up in these specific circumstances Irv seems to be pretty mm -hmm. safe in his right. situation yes. But you think about Heli and you think about specifically Mark, who I worry that he's going to wake up and basically think like, wait a second, am I still in the office? And then he's going to give himself <laughs> away like immediately, immediately give himself away, right? <laughs> Definitely can happen. Okay, so this episode is called What's for Dinner? <laughs> so what do you think about Irv's backstory? We now know what he does. We know why his nails are black when he uh, when he's underground, right? Yes, I, I know you said you have so many questions. I probably have so few answers, um, <laughs> but we did see him. We see he has a dog. We understand why he's got the black paint under his nails. He's just painting everything black, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, he does seem to have a nice life, I have to say. You know, what's interesting about this, though, is that the big mystery here, which I find really fascinating, is not only that we see Poor Miss Casey being sent down um, the hallway 
She's only been awake for 108 hours or yes. whatever it is. So that whole oh, part yeah. of it is fascinating, right? That whole, I actually excerpted that, that, that what she says to him, because it's really depressing when you think about uh, her interior yes. life, that she's only been alive for this very short period of time. She only wakes up and that, that the most pleasurable time of her life was having eight consistent hours awake when she was just basically, you know, chasing after Heli. And uh, it, yes. it makes you recontextualize that whole episode where, you know, they're kind of like, oh, here she comes again, bothering us. Yes. Like, that is literally, she just wants that day to last as long as possible. It's like really tragic when you think about it in retrospect. And she is convinced she does have an outside life of some yes. sort. Yes. Which she doesn't seem to, right? So just really sad all around. I, I had speculated just last episode that she might be in any all the time. But if she's not in any all the time, because she we now know she's only been awake for certain very few hours, relatively few hours, then what happens to her when she goes into that other elevator? Whatever happens to her, she can't be the former version she was of her. If she was on the outside world, she would find, you know, she'd be looking for Mark. If she was not, then she's that person, but trapped somewhere, which I don't think would work very well. So is there yet another persona possibly? I don't know. It's, it's, it remains to be seen, but it, it is very sad to think about what her circumstance might be. I mean, last week I had constructed this idea in my head that Lumen has somehow orchestrated the idea that she's dead mm-hmm. in order to have her doing this, but right. that doesn't really add up with how they are utilizing her, I guess. Like, why go to all the trouble of orchestrating her death? Unless they wanted to see, right? They were saying, well, it's proof the chip works, that these two can be in the same room together. And they have no idea. That would be incredibly cruel if this whole thing is an experiment based on, like, base, uh, basically that they know that she's in love, he's in love with her. And this is just a huge experiment on him. But no, I take all that back because he wasn't working for Lumen when she died, right? He he, he came to Lumen because of this situation that happened to him. True. Right? So yeah, it's all a mystery, but there's something bigger going on here, but it does seem Very extremely strange. cruel. <laughs> we also find out that he play, paints while he listens to Motorhead. And I'm like, I didn't picture him as a Motorhead fan, but then Motorhead's from like the 70s. So I'm thinking, mm. hold on a second. If he was like in his 20s in the 70s, like, you know, that, that's actually old music. It adds up, yeah. Just forget how <laughs> old we all are and how old how old I am specifically. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm right there with you. <laughs> oh, and the most important thing here is not only that we've seen this black paint oozing into his vision, uh, but the painting itself, it's a long corridor with that red light at the end. It's what, yes. it's where she goes. So here's my yes. question. How has he seen that place? What has happened to Irv in the past? He had to have at some point, yet maybe another persona that he's not even cognizant of, has seen that place. So what is happening? This is much, much bigger. I agree. So then we also see that they've really worked hard this week. <laughs> I assume it's a week later because she was supposed to be meeting with the board one week later and now they're having the event. So I guess it's been a week and they've hunkered down and they've worked really hard yes. and they all got to 100% so they can have their waffle party. And boy, I did not, when I assume waffle party. Oh I've my gosh. So much, <laughs> so much happening here. First of all, yeah. another call out to me to the monotony and consistency of office culture because as someone who works in a very deadline driven field 
when people are waiting for you to finish something and just hovering <laughs> yes. over you, that is just one of the most aggravating feelings in the world. And even when Irv said, do you think we should all stand behind her? <laughs> right. I didn't know he was going to end with chanting her name because I've literally had people just hanging out over my shoulder watching me type on a screen because we're on a deadline. And there is no sure recipe to make a mistake yep. as when you are under the pressure of a deadline and somebody is just hovering right over you watching every single thing you do <laughs> exactly. so i really sympathized for hallie <laughs> outside of all of this other stuff going on that everybody is just waiting on her and stressing her even more but then okay first of all what is going on with the office food why is it always breakfast <laughs> foods yeah, right good point. Good point. Why is it, it always, always breakfast foods? But it always is breakfast food, food isn't it, in, in the office? I guess not. Sometimes there are- No, there's cake. Know. There's yeah, often that's cake. True. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, the between the melons and the waffles and now this <laughs> yeah. crazy deviled egg situation, which honestly, <laughs> I can't stand eggs. I can't stand any of the food they serve at Lumen, essentially. I could never survive there. You like the watermelon, though. You like waffles, but, though? You like waffles? No. I can do a waffle. I don't dislike waffles, but I would never seek out a waffle. Like a waffle would not be a reward for me in any way, shape or form, but it's certainly not this specific waffle party, which we can discuss later. But, um, but what's going on with the deviled eggs? What were those purple ones? Oh, I don't know. I have seen color. I mean, Kim's uh, aunt loves to make deviled eggs, and I have seen different colored ones. I don't know if it's, sometimes I think it's just food coloring. Sometimes it's because they put, you know, you put in all this other ingredients and you blend it all together and you put it back in. So I think a lot of times it's just food coloring, though. All right. Well, as someone who really, um, and I understand I'm in the vast, major vast <laughs> minority, but I find eggs disgusting. Even though I like baked goods with eggs in them, I, the taste of an actual egg is very appalling to me. So this was a horror show. The idea of a whole tray of deviled, a uh, cart of deviled eggs is like very traumatizing. Kelly liked them though. She was very impressed with them. Actually. She was impressed. <laughs> 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 so they earned their egg party. There you which go. Is, it was the preamble to the, to the waffle and, party. Hey, if they seem happy. Right. <laughs> but what's the deal with the waffle party? Party by definition is more than one. I mean, I guess yes. in the end there was well, more than one person. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe too many people. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I had um, envisioned in my head like a Belgian waffle situation, mm -hmm. which yeah. may be something I could get behind if it included ice cream and toppings. And, <laughs> right. You know, but, but this. But anyway. Um, so yes, they have the egg party. Dylan gets his present, which is a big mystery, right? As to as to what end, it is, we his see prize. it. Which is very sweet. Yeah, with, with mm -hmm. it the was end, very yeah. sweet. Uh, so yeah, I mean, good for Helly. They made their quota. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They had to really for this plan to work at all. Yes, that's true. I was about to say, I guess she's good at her job, but then maybe not because she was the one who got to 75%, not really 73% in last week's episode. And then they all finished up earlier in the week. So they all got to 100% and she was still lagging behind. So, uh, but she did get there. She did get there. And she's new, you know. She, I was about to say, they've been doing her. this for a while. You know how it is. You can do something in your sleep once you've done it enough times. It's true. It's true. These people never sleep though. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, or falls asleep. <laughs> yes, he falls asleep at work, but that's that's another thing. 
and dreams of his uh, black goop that apparently is actually black paint. <laughs> it's so like paint. that it's the only thing it can paint. It's the only thing it yes. can paint. Apparently, yeah. And then we see that whole interaction. First of all, the interaction between Miss Casey and Mark in the wellness room. Again, we find out that she's been fired as wellness director, and Mark wants mm-hmm. to intervene. And this scene is very sad. Just the fact that they're she's i think maybe i'm over reading into it she might be pining for him a little bit he seems a little it's kind of sad he he doesn't seem to pick up on that romantic feeling towards her even though he obviously loved her when he knew her <laughs> he doesn't know her anymore but um the whole, if he can the, remember her he would love her <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly and, but i do like what he says to her uh and cobell's watching this whole entire time she's orchestrated this yet again and I have to get your feet on what you think is happening with Cobell here. Once again, I, I'm so confused as to what her motivations are. But she, she looks like she's watching like the best movie of her life. She's like, riveted. And she yeah. seems to, uh, you know, when, when he says to her, we're, we're not just parts of people. We're people. We're not just parts of people. And uh, that's why this matters. She seems like this is a breakthrough for her or something. Move. So once again, yes. it makes me feel like she's so much rooting for Mark to somehow break out of his uh you know inniness or whatever you want to call it and uh but then she seems like it's so strange like she seems like she's working against herself sometimes or working against them sometimes she seems like she's trying to help them out with this plan sometimes she seems like she's 100 percent against it i can't get a read on her and i can't understand her motivations from scene to scene sometimes i, I think that's intentional because i don't know what her act we're not supposed to know what her actual plan is until the end and more ambiguity there and we'll get to it at the end but it's her reaction when she hears that he might quit she's like so happy to hear it so it's so all of this is so strange to me mm-hmm. milchik is uh upset about her trying to coordinate this by the way once again because he knows what's actually up he actually mentions to her once again he's in the room when she is watching them and she says this is a win for us because they it shows that the chip actually works because he right. doesn't remember right so but it's funny because he's reading that the wrong way. When she he sees her have that reaction, he's trying to say, oh, no, put a positive spin on it. But I think she is taking something from it more positive uh, than he he reads. So anyway, the whole thing is pretty interesting. Oh, I do like this comment that Milchik makes, which we learned his name is Seth, by the way. Another biblical name. I should look up Seth to see if there's any more symbolism there. I haven't done my research yet. But I do like that he says uh, to Dylan, oh, so you get the waffle party again. He said, this is the third one you've ever had. He goes, your mind is as sharp as your incisors. (laughs) Yes, that was a very funny comment. (laughs) And then we see the first time, I mean, there's a couple of times this happens here in this episode. We've seen this kind of flirtation between Heli and Mark is getting a little more pronounced. But that whole interaction they have uh, when they're talking about the night's plans is pretty sweet. And, you know, it's there's a little heat there. And you see Dylan keeps speaking in on them. <laughs> He's always curious as to, you know, whether they're hooking up or not. And she does give him a kiss. So, yeah. And I actually, they fooled me because I thought when she got into the elevator, oh, I could have sworn they were going to go for a kiss, but they mm-hmm. didn't. And then she jumped right out and smooched him. Yeah. And it's a great line she has where she says, just in case we don't wake up. And she goes, or maybe if we do. <laughs> so yes. Either way. <laughs> Very nicely done. Yeah. And well, I also um, want to point out that you were right, that Dylan's been reading that book the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew Good he catch. had, I, 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 we had seen him catch it. We had seen him find the book before, but I was assuming yes. he was reading the whole time. He even knows the page, 197, 197. Page 197 slaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, and then uh, a couple of things happen simultaneously while this party's going on. One is that we see Irv gets the book, one of the books from the shelf, one of their only allowed reading, like a pile of these instructions, mm-hmm. to which they say there's no greater love than the love for Kier. And uh, he puts an egg in there, slams it shut. So he's like, you know, desecrating this book with his, <laughs> with that egg. It was just what you would have done with it, Sona. Oh, Yes. Speaking of Kier, what did you think of the cheesy early 90s of video that you get when you complete 100% of your task? It didn't resemble this, but it had the feeling for me of when you would finish the game of solitaire and all the cards <laughs> would go flying yeah. in every direction and it felt so satisfying. You know what it reminded me of is that, you know, in the old days, in the 90s, uh, I remember playing on the IBM. This was like state of the art at the time where you played those adventure games where you had to like find things and you had to like space what was that one called space ace or something like that and you had to like find things and then build things and then solve these puzzles and then what happens like when you got to the next chapter of the story you'd have this cutaway where the graphics would get better because you know your character is this little pixelated guy and then you would kind of zoom into this you know higher resolution adventure sequence and that's what it reminded me of was like those kind of uh, cut scenes inside of those old video games which was like eight, eight, late 80s by the way once again hard to place this thing because i'm just setting in my mind now that those games were probably late 80s, early 90s that I'm describing. So once again, this, I mean, the computers looked at there from the 80s, by the way. So maybe this technology, whatever it is, you know, even if this is 2005, <laughs> the technology in this office is still 1980 something, which by the yes. way, still not uncommon in most offices, unfortunately. Maybe not this old, though. maybe not, not this old. Oh, the one last thing is when they're exiting on, not only did uh, Mark get a smooch, but I do like that. <laughs> Irv says, let's find out what's for dinner. So you finally got to find out. That's right. And we kind of speculated on this anyway, but as I think it's Mark we see leaving, right, to get into his car. And we see that they're decorating the office, right? They're putting carpet and everything in place. And it uh, looks like there's going to be some big event there. And of course, we kind of speculated that was going to happen anyway. And then we get the waffle party. This is maybe the weirdest thing that's ever happened on the show, which is saying a whole Oh, lot. my God. What on earth? <laughs> Here's my question to you. Is this, do you think it's purely like burlesque or do you think this would actually be sex? Like, is this is like the uh, only time these innies get to have sex potentially? It had a real eyes wide shut feeling to it. <laughs> Very I much so. Right? I, I was just so upset by this. First the goats, now this. Um, one of the people has a goat head on, so that's I the extra disturbance. That. And one has a, a Selvin, Cobell. I can't remember yes. which thing she is in which place. And yeah, uh, why would that be a terrible idea, right? Oh my god! Oh my god! So, I mean, yeah, there's a bed. So if there's a bed, I would assume something is supposed to happen. I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> the paper mache heads are really disturbing. <laughs> the whole thing is disturbing for sure. And the paper mache heads were made it extra disturbing. But you're absolutely right. Why? First of all, why would if this is some kind of burlesque, whether it is you know just the the striptease or whether it is going to turn into some kind of sexual act, um, like the Selwig head, the goat head, like how is any of this? The Kier head, how is any of this sexually attractive? <laughs> and why would you want to do this on a full stomach of waffles also i mean a, what's the connection not, here <laughs> waffles are not the right meal before that yeah <laughs> maybe go back to the melon for this i i don't know but you might need your carbs you might need to carb up before <laughs> uh, 
Oh, and I forgot to mention this whole thing. One more thing that happened, of course, is that Cobell got fired. She got fired from uh, from because she they know that Helly tried to commit suicide, and they have proof yes. of it now. And she actually speculates that um, Milchik was the one who ratted her out. But given Milchik's reaction, I do not think it was Milchik who, uh, you know, he seems very surprised by the turn of events. Yes. <laughs> and who is minding the store right now? Like, is there anyone left down there? To <laughs> Good question. <laughs> After during the burlesque, actually, <laughs> the dancers don't even notice <laughs> that Dylan has snuck out. So they're into their own thing. Then again, they're wearing paper mache heads. So I don't know how. <laughs> how observant they could possibly yeah, be. Yeah, that was so funny to me that like they're so involved in the dance or the choreography <laughs> or whatever that they don't notice that the audience has left. Yeah, until they're done, they're like, ta-da. And then he's like, oh, he's not here anymore. <laughs> like I said, though, I'm not sure how much you can see with those heads on, though, by the way. so Maybe. And of course, he's gone back to the security office and he ties his belt around the doors and then he is going to... He, he remembers the procedure, gets it correct. You know, was able, just enough to stretch. Should have been a, a taller person, by the way, who stayed behind. <laughs> my, yeah. my two cents Longer were. limbs, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And he should have brought, like, whatever, his lanyard or something. Because, hey, that's what I was thinking. When he, they were saying you need two people to pull these levers, I'm like, you got the lanyard. The lanyard gives you a lot extra, you know, reach. But he, uh, I mean, and honestly, this is an aside, but they might have gotten rid of the extension cords, but there are plenty of other ways to hang yourself in this office if you wanted to. Let's not list them all now. <laughs> No, I'm just saying, I mean, getting rid of the extension cords is not the solution. This guy's, all the guys are wearing belts. There's the lanyards of the, I I don't know. Shoelaces? Yeah. Oh, here's the thing I wanted to ask you about. When he's using the roller ball to select the right menu item, he scrolls by and he reads it out. Beehive, yeah. So you have beehive, (laughs) lullaby, open house. And overtime. So there is overtime. But my question is, what could some of these other things be? Because I think that's what's happened to Casey and to potentially Irv in a previous iteration. So there are additional protocols, and which is problematic, which is troubling, because what is scary to imagine is like, you know, they are thinking they're going to go and activate themselves on the outside world and then potentially like turn that off. But if Dylan gets caught, they can do something, like th- there might be something worse than just leaving them on the outside. And they're basically saying, well, we can never go back again, right? There, mm. <laughs> there could be something much more uh, dangerous there. Mm. So that's where we leave things. And obviously a huge, huge cliffhanger here at the end. What do you expect for next week? I mean, I, I there's so much that has to happen next week. I, I don't understand how this is going to get wrapped up by next week. That's why I'm concerned that something unexpected like very unexpected and i don't mean concerned in that i think the show is going to be bad i am like concerned for the characters that something very unexpected is going to happen because i think the setup would be that they're going to solve the mystery they're going to reach out to somebody they're going to find somebody to talk to but who would that be because i think you know i imagine mark wakes up where he is he's suddenly interacting with selvig is selvig going to rat him out or is she going to help him out that would be hugely uh, important to him Maybe that's where it goes. I'm now that I'm just thinking about it. Selvig is the only one that can get the three of them back together again, right? Because she's the only one that knows where they live. Yes, and she's the only one that knows the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yes, I agree. And uh, so maybe that's the only only possible direction this goes into. 
but we will see. We will see. And uh, and I honestly don't know. I mean, that's the best thing about this, honestly, is that I do not know where the show's going next. I do not know. And, you know, here we are at the very end, and I honestly do not know what the show's going to leave us with. And there's definitely going to be a second season, obviously, given the success of this one. I mean, I hope they don't leave things too open-ended. I don't want to have, like, a non-ending, right. you know? So Because it just seems so ambitious Yeah. to give this a satisfactory ending in less than an hour. And I have to check to see if they published how many, how long the next episode is, because that would probably give us an indication, you know, potentially it could be like an hour and 20 minutes or something. So we might have like mm. almost a double episode there, but Fair I don't point. know. And then, cause th- this episode was not very long. I mean, it's almost 50 minutes, but that's not that long by the standards of this show. So mm. I was going to recommend some stuff that there's so much stuff out there right now, but, oh, you know what? I'll just recommend one that I thought was really, really good. There's so many things coming out now. It's incredible. April is so jam-packed with stuff. It's impossible to see it. There's a Pachinko, is how it's pronounced, that game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is based on that book, which is directed by Koganada, by the way, who I just recommended after uh, after Yang a few days, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And now this is directed by him also, and it's been getting rave reviews. I've only seen the first episode. It's so, there's too much to watch. I can't watch it all, but it's absolutely beautiful. You know, he's incredible mm-hmm. at composing these images. And I really like the way the story's told. He didn't write the script, but I like that. I have not read the book, but I hear that this is not the way the book is structured. You actually see this woman who's basically trying to get favor with a Japanese family 80 years earlier. And is during this Japanese occupation of, uh, by, uh, or the Korean occupation, occupation by Japan, you know, almost 100 years ago. And then it jumps like generations later to modern uh, South Korea and this man working for a big British company and, you know, he's kind of getting, not getting promoted. And, uh, but anyway, the point is that like now it's like this very rich booming economy and you see this jumping back forth in time. So I really like the way they're structuring this, that they're telling the story of this, this century of South Korean history through a family, but then, you know, jumping into different times, different generations in the family. So all of it seems very interesting so far. It's very ambitious. I hear it's incredibly good. People love the book. Yeah. And the book is beloved. So I uh, am curious to watch it. But like I said, it is dense. It's mostly not in English, although there is some English in it. Oh, okay. So you don't have to, and it is dubbed. You can watch it as a dub, but I've been watching it subtitled. So it's just yet another hurdle (laughs) for given all the things to watch. Yes. The thing I wanted to mention to you that you might want to watch, perhaps, I would only recommend a show like this because I thought the direction for this episode was exceptional. It is uh, the girl from Plain, v- Plainfield. Is that what it's called? Yes, uh, Plainville. I Plainville, think. Yes, Plainville. I, I did see a commercial for that. I'm very curious about this case. It's the case about this girl whose name I can't remember right now, but that she had been texting with a boyfriend, someone she barely knew in person, hadn't met many times, but they had this long correspondence via text or WhatsApp or whatever it is. And that she kind of was egging him on to commit suicide. And there's a version of it, her version of the story and other people's versions of the story based on their text messages, et cetera. So there's a lot of ambiguity in what happened there. But what is certain, at least in the representation of the show so far, is that she seems to have some significant emotional problems. And uh, But now whether she's villainous or not, it's hard to say. And all of this is exceptionally well done it's like the direction is incredible the tone management is excellent the performances are great the cinematography is beautiful it's david lynch's preferred cinematographer so it has a very um rich but brooding kind of look 
and uh, it does not feel like uh, you're you know torn from the headlines type uh, uh, opportunistic I should say type handling of these material that I've seen in the past mm -hmm. it doesn't feel tabloid I would say and just the pilot once again there's two episodes available <laughs> I was not even able to watch both of them I only watched one of them but the first episode and I always have problems with pilots I thought the pilot episode was excellent here it almost could be its own little mini movie it's it's so well done so mm -hmm. I do think that's interesting so you should check that out you watch the first episode and tell me what you think because and I where it, did you watch it it's on hulu how okay gotcha you know i will probably check back in with it i don't know when <laughs> there's too many things coming out there's shining girls with elizabeth moss is coming to apple tv also based on the book later this month there is tokyo vice which is michael mann who made miami vice 30 years ago is his first TV show in, in decades. And uh, that's coming next week. It's incredible, the, uh, <laughs> the amount of stuff that's coming out. But I did want to call out that the girl from Plainville, I think you're correct with that, was really good. It was really good. And I only saw one episode. It might get bad. I don't know. But the first episode <laughs> The first episode's excellent. <laughs> only vouching for the first episode. I'm all, exactly. It. It's all I've seen. It's all I've seen. <laughs> And the last thing I want to do is talk really quickly about the uh, Oscars. I, <laughs> what, oh. what has been your chatter around this whole, the slap heard around the world? <laughs> mm. I honestly have been avoiding talking about it and trying to avoid thinking about it, despite <laughs> all of the media's constant efforts to force me to think about it against my will. Um, I mean, wow. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. There's mm -hmm. a lot uh, of different levels. I think on the most superficial level, I think, you know, Will Smith momentarily lost his mind. <laughs> yes. Because on the precipice of, you know, what your entire career has been building to, yep. to do something like this um, in defense of your wife's honor, I'm not going to forget that part but uh it just seems very poor judgment to me but, i think there are a lot of other ways it could have been handled i don't yes. think it was a good joke i no. don't think it was an appropriate joke i also don't think that it warranted that reaction that there's a hundred ways he could have handled this that would have been better i was just talking to kim about it last night and i was saying if i had heard that will smith had smacked chris rock backstage after he right. got his academy award sure. i wouldn't have even cared <laughs> <laughs> but for I mean, him that to is walk definitely out there, meet me in the parking lot type yes, of thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> but then it gets deeper than that for me because it's so strange that Will Smith laughs at the joke and then Jada yes. obviously does not laugh at the joke. Yes. And then he goes up there and he walked like it's not even like he goes up there and like yells at him or, or or just points at him or something. He walked across the entire stage deciding to smack him on national television while tens of millions of people are watching. And then, uh, but but more than that is, if Jada Pickett Smith and the, the the two of them in general were the type of people who shied away from yes a, from the uh, you know any kind of you know, yes. their personal they, life they is extremely air their personal dirty laundry like oh crazy yes yes they have a TV show they have that whatever that table talk is on Facebook live that you know I've never seen that show but Me you know, it's constantly viral because they're like now they're talking about this thing they're talking about how Willow Smith is pansexual they're talking about how um you know uh they're talking about you they, know, have an actual, open actual, marriage. they have an open marriage they talk about that it's like oh, holy cow like and she had already uh 
said, you know, publicly publicly a couple of days earlier that she didn't care, you know, didn't give a rat's ass or whatever if people commented on her hair. So all of this seems so bizarre to react this way when they are so utterly public. They're like the most public of public couples. And I don't understand what he was thinking. I honestly don't get it. I mean, the joke may have been a low blow, but honestly, it was not that bad. No, um, not that it offensive, wasn't a good joke. Yeah. It wasn't a funny joke, but it also wasn't that bad of like, like you're saying, it wasn't that offensive. And then, yeah, when you're a public figure and you're sitting at the Academy Awards, part of the deal is that they are going to make fun of yes. you, right? So, yeah. I mean, I just, I don't understand what snapped in his head to make him think that this was the right way to handle this. The thing I wanted to mention about Daniel Kaluuya, which was the thing that I was, I did watch earlier in the Academy Awards, and I noticed it, and I thought it was so utterly <laughs> embarrassing that uh, I had to look it up on Twitter to see if other people were reacting to it too, and they were, which was they were introducing the young actress who does the voice in Encanto. I don't remember the actress's mm-hmm. name. And when she came out, they played La Isla Bonita by Madonna. And I'm like, okay, you're playing La Isla Bonita. It's like a white artist singing this, you know, vaguely, you know, Spanish inflected. I'm like, this is the best you could do. This is the best you could do to, you know, like as a cue, an audio cue for the, and they got so much worse because the next award was given out for best supporting actress. And it was her, the musical performer who won an Academy Award last year and who's, you know, has a platinum album out right now that came out last year in 2021. And she also won an Academy Award last year with a song. <clears throat> and Daniel Kaluuya, who won Best Supporting Actor last year for um, the Black Panther and the Messiah a movie. Mm-hmm. And what did they play when they walked out? They played Africa by Toto. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is wrong in so many ways. Like, who is back- picking these songs? That's what I'm saying. Like, how inept can you be? You're putting this show together. And you have a Latino actress come out and you play La Lisa Bonita from a white performer <laughs> from the 80s. And then you have two black performers come out. And like I said, you could easily play a song by her. She is a platinum selling artist. And you play Africa by Toto, which is insulting because that's all you could think of. Like, oh, look, Africa, they're black. <laughs> insane and then Absolutely they're not even insane. and then the performers Toto's not even a black artist obviously so it's just so insulting the whole thing is ridiculous yikes all this is to say that the academy awards are a total and utter garbage joke <laughs> unfortunately it's no disagreement here and with that being said coda won best film everybody and it's available on apple plus so you can watch it if you're watching <laughs> if you're watching this bring show. it all full circle <laughs> <laughs> it is available to watch so we have this very uh, this great crazy cliffhanger in this show, and I can't wait for next week. And then we have to get ready for Better Call Saul. I think oh we're my just going to. Re- I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. Me too. So yeah, everybody, make sure you subscribe so you know when those episodes are available. We have next week, like I mentioned, we have our finale of Severance. Very exciting. And then we're going to be going week to week with Better Call Saul. Maybe sneak in. Uh, a recap episode in there, which I think has really got to be just season five. I cannot imagine recapping all those seasons. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Maybe it's we'll just so do much. a recap of season five and that's it. And uh, we'll sneak that one in before the next show begins. And uh, I have already dropped the first episode of Moon Knight from Disney Plus in the feed. And that's already picked up a bunch of listens just earlier this week. And maybe, Sona, I'm, my sister wants to do a recap with me. I'm thinking 
I'm going to be recapping a show with my sister called Outer Range on Amazon Prime. We'll see if she actually steps up and does this. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's coming in a couple of weeks. And it's uh, Western and sci-fi and uh, uh, mystery of some kind. It, lo- it kind of looks like Lost in the Midwest. <laughs> so it is very stra- interesting looking. And we'll see if that uh, pans out. But she does want to cover that sh- uh, show. So we might have three recaps going, at least for a little while. Wow. Until, uh, until the end of the month, because both mo- both uh, Outer Range, because it does two episodes a week, and uh, Moon Knight will wrap up at the end of April. So <laughs> then I'll go back down to one, <laughs> which I can handle much better, obviously. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for the conversation. Thank you. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Great. Talk to you soon. Bye.